Let's pray. Father, uh, I confess that uh, in my flesh I am weak, Lord, and Lord, utterly dependent upon your Spirit, and that is true every Lord's Day, all year long. And so, Father, may you illumine your word in the pulpit and uh, fire up my synapses with the glories of your grace. And Father, uh, illumine your word in the pew and fire up, up the synapses in the hearts of your people, that they would receive the glories of your grace from the Holy Scriptures as evidenced in Peter's life. We ask, Lord, that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, and that we would not behold a man, but behold the glory of the man's Savior. Behold the glory of the Savior's grace upon a sinner. And Lord, that we would see ourselves in the mirror of your word and, and see the Savior's love for us and grow in his likeness, and grow to love him more, and to rest in that love now and forever. We pray, Father, you would bless his time. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter. We begin today a study in 1 Peter. And Lord willing, uh, we'll follow that with 2 Peter, but we will see. But we'll be preaching for some months in 1 Peter. And today's message is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1a. Read with me there. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. That is the opening statement of Peter's epistle, the opening salutation, and we are simply going to deal with what the first six words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This message will be introductory to who Peter is. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that we might see the grace of God in Peter's life, that we might see the mercy of God upon Peter, that we might see the kindness of God in a human being's life that I trust we can identify with in many ways, that we can hope to be of great use, to be valiant in the service of our king like Peter, and that we can hope that when we fail, we can be restored like Peter under the Lord and be of great use again to his great glory. Peter, an apostle, is the title of this morning's message. And a few introductory thoughts from Nelson's Bible Dictionary regarding Peter. He's the most prominent of Jesus' 12 apostles, and we'll see that again and again from the Scriptures. He is the first apostle to be called. He is the first among the apostles. He is the uh, married apostle, not that none of the others were married, but his mother-in-law is mentioned. His wife is never mentioned by name, and she's never seen in the narrative text, except when the apostle Paul mentions Cephas, or Peter, bringing his wife with him on his missionary pastoral endeavors. He's the first apostle to witness the resurrection. Well, that could be debated <laughs> by John. 
He's the first apostle to proclaim salvation to the Gentiles. And sometimes people think because of Paul's tremendous ministry to the Gentiles that it's Paul. But no, it's Peter who's the first to declare to the Gentiles. He is not the Pope of Rome, nor was he ever the Pope of Rome. He is mentioned, I believe, 163 times in the New Testament. And we will look at a portion of those 163 mentions. I did cut a few. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 is where we will begin. It's the first mention of Peter in the New Testament. It's the first mention of Peter in the Bible. Matthew 4, 18, the Lord Jesus is beginning his ministry. And we find here that the apostle Peter is the first apostle to follow Jesus. Matthew 4, 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, cast a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Peter, an apostle, the fisherman. (laughs) Peter, the fisherman. Many identify with him as a fisherman, a, a common man. He's not Paul, the Pharisee. He's not Paul, the theologian. He didn't write Romans or much of the rest of the New Testament. He's not Dr. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts and actually has more words than Paul. He's Peter, a fisherman with two little epistles with magnificent truth therein. He's Peter, the fisherman, and he has innate natural strength. As you think about a fisherman, fishermen are brave. Fishermen are strong. Fishermen get up early typically and they go out no matter the weather and they face the wind and the waves and the storm and the sun and the heat and the cold. All of it. Day in and day out seeking to capture those elusive, slimy, wet things in the sea. Fish. To feed themselves, to feed their families, to feed their village, perhaps to feed their region if they're successful enough. Peterman, or Peter, is a man of raw character. Character that must be tamed. Character and strength that must be brought beneath Jesus. And at times, Peter is strong in the flesh and fails in that strength. And we learn from that, that we can be strong in the flesh and fail like Peter. And at times, it seems he is weak in the flesh. He who is normally brave is fearful and foolish in his fear, and falls prey to such like so many of us do at punctuated times in our lives. Peter is a fisherman in the midst of his trade, fishing for the slimy wet things in the sea, casting a net into the sea, and Jesus says to them in that midst, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's his call to them. You're to come from the sea. I've got other plans for your life. I will make you fishers of men. And they will forevermore cast the net of God's word and find that God in his sovereignty brings all the fish that he desires into 
that net and fills it according to his providence each time it is cast. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And that is how we are to follow Jesus. He calls us, we come. And that is the reality. When he calls, you do come. Not before, but willingly when he calls. For it is a sovereign call. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, regenerating and illuminating. And so they are called and they immediately come and follow Jesus and begin their grand adventure following Jesus. We see again in Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 7 that the apostle Peter is the first apostle listed consistently throughout the gospels. We see it here and it is all through the gospels. If all 12 apostles are listed, Peter is at the front of the list. He is a natural leader and a spiritual leader, while yet being an errant leader. Matthew 10, verse 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles were these. First, Simon was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the sons of Zebedee, and John his brother, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew the tax collector, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Labius whose name, surname was Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And so we see, he called them, he told them he would make them fishers of men. He and his brother immediately left their nets, followed him. In Matthew 10, he's sending them out to do what? Cast the net. To go fish for men. Paul, or excuse me, Peter, an apostle. What does apostle mean? Sent one. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to send you out to fish for men. Peter, an apostle, a sent one. In Matthew 10, he and the other disciples are sent, and he is listed first amongst them. First, Simon, who is called Peter, is sent out with power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease, preaching the kingdom of God. Verse 5 there, Matthew 10, verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is still our message. We are not... Today, sitting in a kingdom hall of Jehovah's Witnesses, but we are the king's servant, and our prayer is, thy kingdom come, and we're to seek to advance the kingdom on earth until the kingdom comes, calling all men to bend their knee to the king, that the king would rule in each and every heart. The founders of our nation said that our constitution And the laws that would flow from it would not be sufficient to rule over a nation so vast as the United States of America, except that King Jesus rule in these states. And it is true. Our goal is that King Jesus would rule in our own hearts, our cities, our states, our nation, 
and in the nations of this earth. And to bring that to effect, to bring that about, we are to go and we are to preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And thus Peter and the twelve did such. Matthew 14, we catch up to the, the apostle Peter once again. And we find here that he is the only apostle to ever walk on the water. And he gets a lot of guff for that. Because it didn't go as well as one would hope. But none of the other apostles got out of the boat that day. Let's read the account together and refresh our minds to the actual details. Because I find it far more commendable than lamentable. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, brothers and sisters, Peter was a fisherman. Peter spent his life on the sea. I think this miracle in particular was awesome for him, seeing the Lord Jesus walking upon the sea. And again, Peter is bold and Peter is brave and, and Peter has immense faith. And Lord, if it is you and you're walking on the sea, then call me and I'll walk on the sea. And the Lord is pleased to do so. Isn't that glorious? He's pleased to do so. Our faith is often entirely too small and we aim far too low. We ask not and we receive not. We seek to do no great thing and we do no great thing. No one else said, Lord, Call me and I'll come to you. I'll walk on that water. But Peter did. And he's to be commended. His faith was great. And he would not wait for the Lord to come to him. He would go to the Lord. He would walk on the water, convoluting the laws of the universe, experiencing the miracle himself. And in that, Peter was first amongst the apostles for a reason. Peter is named first and Peter is in leadership position for a reason. His faith is great. And may God grant that our faith would be great. Like Peter's faith. And when it's not, that we would rebuke ourselves and pray for greater faith. And, and faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So hear the word of God today. If God be in it, you can walk on water. If God be in it, an axe head floats on water. Come, said the Lord Jesus. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Glory, glory. 
And you can imagine the joy as he's stepping out and the water holds him up. And the astonishment of the other apostles. And he's taking steps toward the Lord Jesus. But what happens? His eyes get off the Lord and onto the waves and the wind. And then that which he knows from all his experience, you know, waves, wind, water, not safe, not good. And his faith wavers and he sinks. And the Lord corrects him in that and points out the failure for his own good and for the good of the other apostles. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him first. He did not let him sink. (laughs) He caught him and he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So I don't know that he even sank down all the way, but the Lord Jesus caught him, it would seem, and they continued together to the boat. But, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Tremendous faith to step out of the boat. Tremendous faith to walk on the water. And then his faith was misplaced off of Jesus and into the wind and the waves. And he immediately began to sink. Oh, you of little faith. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, our faith diminishes. Where do you have a revelation of Jesus? In the morning paper, in the evening news, in the workplace, in the mirror. You have a revelation of Jesus in the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This is your necessary food, that you would know the Lord, love him, and believe rightly about him, and thus walk with great faith. The faith that Peter exhibited when he walked on the water, and I'm not exhorting you to go out to any local body of water today and give it a shot. And if the Lord was so pleased, of course, he could do that. But that's a very rare occasion. And typically, miracles come in times of revelation. Like when the prophets walk the earth, when the Lord Jesus, the final prophet, final high priest, walk the earth. Um, Miracles and revelation are not constant. They're punctuated times throughout the history of mankind. And so I'm not exhorting you to go out and attempt to walk on the water. But in your daily life, you can walk on the surface of this planet above all the fray above all the worry, above all the strife, above all the hate, above all the sorrow, above all the suffering. You can walk on the water of this world with faith, with hope, with joy, with peace that surpasses understanding and not sink down into the muck. That you can do. And that the Lord would have us all to do in faith and not look out of the wind and the waves of war in Ukraine Tyrants in Washington, D.C., diseases in Wuhan, or any other threats that this world might have. The threat is this. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And his judgment is coming with him. The kingdom is coming. The king is coming. And the king is our friend. The king is our master. The king is our savior. And so the threat we should be worried about is the threat that the world is under. The threat of the king of kings and the lord of lords who will bring swift judgment upon them unless they repent and confess him as Lord. So let us 
walk upon the surface of this earth as Peter walked upon that water with faith in Jesus' eyes fixed upon Jesus. Thy kingdom come as laborers toward that end, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ that knees would bow and confess Jesus as King and Lord and Savior. When Jesus came into the boat with Peter, they worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. We catch up again to Peter and Matthew 16, verses 15 through 20. Jesus, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, which is so often the case, that Simon answers for the twelve. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And no one had said that, at least out loud. Perhaps they had been whispering amongst themselves, wondering, Who do you say that I am? The Lord Jesus brought it to a head. Who do you say that I am? They say this, they say that. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers for them all, You are the Christ, the anointed descendant of David, the King. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. On which rock will the Lord Jesus build his church? This man? This fisherman, bold, faithful, water walker, knowing the rock of the truth that he declared that he, Jesus, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not the man. Chapter 16, verse 21. 16, verse 21. We find that Peter is the only apostle to rebuke Jesus and to be called Satan. And here you get the contrast in Peter's life. Strong, bold, full of faith, and yet sometimes strong in the flesh and bold in the flesh. And that leads him to say and do that which is completely contrary to the faith. And here, in his boldness, he thinks he knows better than Jesus. And he just said, he just responded, who do, the, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord Jesus commends them before all. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. For the Lord has revealed this to you. When the Lord reveals truth, when the Lord strengthens us, we see truth, we hold truth, we defend truth, we declare truth. When the Lord allows us to go in our own strength, we blow it. (laughs) We squander truth. We lose sight of truth. We speak and act contrary to the truth, even the truth who is Jesus. And in the next moment, that's what happens. In the next moment, which shows us Peter's humanity, Peter's frailty, and our own. Peter, an apostle. Matthew 16, 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. What do you call that? The gospel, the mission. It's why Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
That's what it's about. That's why there's a heavens and an earth and trees on it. So that Jesus could suffer on a tree, taking the fullness of the wrath of the Almighty on behalf of all who would repent and confess Him as Lord. And Peter says, after Jesus tells him the plan, Peter says, verse 22, Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I don't care if he's rebuking him about um, what they should have for lunch (laughs) or what time they should move to the next town or which direction they should go. You don't rebuke Jesus on any front, on any issue. But what does Peter dare rebuke Jesus for? The plan to seek and to save the lost. The plan to carry out the gospel mission. The plan to suffer and die and rise again on the third day. That's what Peter is so bold to oppose. And it's madness. And hear me, sin makes us mad. And left to our own strength, our strength becomes a madness. It becomes our great weakness. Because Peter in his own strength, you know, he'd, he'd made a few points. He'd made a few advances. And he took it upon himself as a natural leader to lead Jesus. You don't lead Jesus. You don't get ahead of Jesus. You don't reshape the plan of Jesus. You don't reshape the gospel of Jesus. You don't reshape the mission of Jesus. No, you follow Jesus. Which was the bargain at the beginning of the story. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Here, Peter is essentially telling Jesus to follow him. And you and I can often be just like Peter in our lives. We want to go this way and do this thing, and we want Jesus to follow along and fit into that, rather than Jesus being at the front, and we're following him in the context of our lives, not apostles, but as fishers of men. Oh, Jesus must lead. Jesus says to all of his people, all Christians, Die to self, take up the cross, follow me. That's not just the beginning of the story for Peter, an apostle. That's the beginning of the story for you if you're a Christian. Die to self, take up the cross, follow me. That's the deal, beginning to end. Die to self, take up the cross, follow me. And unfortunately... There are punctuated points and maybe seasons even in our lives where we act much like Peter. No, Lord, there's a better plan. This is a better way. Now, Peter's was extreme. (laughs) Peter's was radical. Peter went head to head with the gospel mission itself and with Jesus himself face to face. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, now some of you actually, and even myself, in our prayers, may actually be just like Jesus. Or excuse me, Peter. Just like Peter. And that we pray contrary to the will of God. We go head to head with God to know this, this isn't good. That's not a good plan. The main thing being the main thing isn't a good plan. That's going to bring hardship. That's going to bring suffering. That, that's going to bring angst. The world's not going to like me. The world's not going to promote me. The world's not going to applaud me. 
They're going to think I'm a Jesus freak, a Bible thumper, a Christian. It's becoming a bad name out there. They're going to think, I don't believe Big Bang cosmology or Darwin. Oh, no. Therefore, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, I think Peter loved him, and Peter wanted the kingdom to come now. And, and Peter could not see the path to the kingdom being through the cross, through the death, through the burial, through the resurrection, and through, you know, a few thousand years until Christ would return. He wanted the kingdom now. And so not so, Lord, not, not, not so. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. God's timeline is the timeline. God's plan is the plan. And our job is to follow him and be fishers of men. It's really simple. But when we get too smart, we start telling the Lord what the plan ought to be and what the timeline ought to be. And we're not pleased with his timeline and we're not pleased with his plan when we get too smart and we get too strong. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. He rebuked him. Saying this, madness. Verse 23, but he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, but you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Get behind me, Satan. In opposing his death, burial, and resurrection, he was siding with Satan. Perhaps even becoming a tempter in Satan's service. So get behind me, Satan, the strongest possible rebuke for his beloved fisherman, for his beloved apostle Peter. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He was leading in the flesh. He was being strong in the flesh and not in the Spirit. How do, how do you know if you're being strong in the flesh or the Spirit? Are you following Jesus? Are you making much of Jesus? Are you obeying Jesus? Are you going your own way and working Jesus in? Adding a little Jesus veneer on? A little Jesus tattoo? Mixed into your biker gang lifestyle? I know we've got a lot of biker gang members here today. I've known some that have tried that. It hasn't worked out well for them. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, there's a context. I preached this portion many times. You've heard it preached many times elsewhere, no doubt. It's a pivotal portion of Scripture, but there's a context. The context is Jesus saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again on the third day. And Peter's saying, no, Lord, not going to happen. Then Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, anyone, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are we clear, Peter? Are we clear, everyone? 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now try, try to put yourself in Peter's shoes here, or sandals. How do you think he feels? After rebuking the Lord, the Lord counter-rebuking him before all, and then the Lord laying down the truth with such strength and clarity here. Well, I think he feels humbled. Duly humbled. And the great thing about Peter, from the evidence of his life, is when he blows it and then receives correction, he is humbled beneath it. And acts accordingly. May that be the pattern of your life. When you blow it and receive correction, may you not resist it, fight it, but submit to it and press on in the service of Jesus. Press on. Don't count yourself out. Oh no, I blew it, I'm done. No, press on in the service of Jesus. I'm unworthy. What madness came over me? I rebuked Jesus. What an idiot. I mean, it might be healthy to say that. Might help the other disciples not to stone you out back. But press on. Was Peter done? I mean, this was a day of madness. Rebuking Jesus for saying he's going to suffer, die, and rise again on the third day. That is a high point of madness. Was he done? No, he's just getting started. (laughs) He's just getting started. And the Lord's not done with him. And praise God, he isn't done with us. The only apostle to rebuke Jesus and be likened to Satan for it. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. Peter's the first apostle, the inner three apostles at the transfiguration. And so there are groups of apostles, three and three and three and three. Is that 12? I think so. And Peter's the first of the first three. And these three are called by Jesus up to the mount to experience the transfiguration. And so Peter goes up to experience the transfiguration. And I mean, this is a privilege. It's a high privilege. And Peter and James and John, the, the sons of thunder, are called up to a high mountain by themselves with Jesus, Matthew 17, verse 2. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Think of the description of Jesus in Revelation. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now, what should your response be here? Jesus is revealing the glory of his deity. Awesome. Awesome. Magnificent. Terrifying. And then Moses and Elijah show up too. That's also pretty neat, if not awesome. (laughs) Pretty amazing. And you're a humble fisherman. Made apostle. Fisher of men. How does Peter respond here? Verse 4. Then Peter, 
Verse 4 shouldn't be there. Not in Peter's life, not in your life, not in my life. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, was anyone talking to Peter? Did anyone ask Peter a question? No. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The Lord doesn't need our religious suggestions. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need our ingenuity. He doesn't need our creativity. What does he require of us? Follow me. He lays out the plan. He lays it out clearly. We get creative because we don't like the plan or because we're proud. And so we've got an idea. We're going to do this. Just follow Jesus. That's the plan. Then and now. And when Jesus condescends to bring you up to a privileged experience of his manifest glory, to which he also invites Elijah and Moses, just shut up. (laughs) Just be quiet and experience this. And if he speaks to you and asks you something, sure. But otherwise, that's a good time to be silent and learn and be in awe. But Peter, so much like you and I, has something to say. He's got a religious suggestion. Lord, it is good for us to be here. Did Jesus need Peter's confirmation? This is a good thing, Jesus. No. If you wish, now that's good, (laughs) let us make here three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I hope he at least meant that Jesus' tabernacle would be a little larger than Moses and Elijah, right? But three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And so the father now has to correct Peter. Jesus had to correct Peter when Peter's rebuking him, saying, No, Lord, let it not be so. Now, Peter's speaking out of turn again, and the Father's correcting him. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. We don't need to hear from you, Peter. We don't need your input. Hear Him. Hear Him. Hear Jesus. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Hear Jesus. Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. Small little thing, but we find that Peter's the only apostle to pay taxes from the mouth of a fish. That's that's unique, right? Peter is a unique apostle. He has many unique experiences that the other apostles don't have, or at least aren't recorded on the pages of Scripture. Matthew 17, 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Why did they come to Peter? Because Peter is clearly the leader amongst the 12. So they come to him and he says, yes, we pay taxes. 
When he came to the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So Christians pay taxes. Jesus paid taxes. Peter paid taxes. Now, it is nice. You know, it'd be great if we could go fishing today or in April and pay our taxes from a fish's mouth. But we see this miracle here, the Lord's provision, and Peter at the center of it, and the Lord showing Peter his power. Just a little miracle involving Peter and his Lord. Matthew 19, 27, we find Peter is the only apostle to ask, what's in this for us? <laughs> oh, Peter. What's in this for us? Matthew 19, 27, then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? We have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Now, we could over-indict him on this and say he's just being greedy, or we could just take it at surface level, and you know, he's curious. You know, we've left all, we've followed you. What, what's what's going to happen? What's going to be our position? Um, I don't want to over-indict Peter here, but following the pattern, there might be some level of indictment here. We've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have. Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. You who have what? Followed me. Does Jesus rebuke him here? He doesn't. That's why here I, I don't see a, a great indictment. I, I do wonder about his heart because of some of the other things he said and done. But the Lord Jesus doesn't bring correction here. And he does say, you who have followed me. Peter is a follower of Jesus. Peter is an apostle of Jesus. Imperfect, but glorious. You are a follower of Jesus. Imperfect, but glorious as you glorify Jesus. Take hope in that. Take hope in that. And even when Peter's at times blowing it, like at the transfiguration, Jesus came and do not be afraid and lifted him up. Even at times, is he's blowing it, taking his eyes off Jesus, and he does get corrected, you have little faith, but Jesus pulls him up from the water. Doesn't let him flop around there, but pulls him up. And so we have a loving and merciful Savior. He knows that left to ourselves, we are dust and wicked, sinful, unbelieving, rebellious dust at that. Assuredly, he says, I say to you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so... Will there be great loss? Will they ultimately have sacrificed much in following Jesus? Well, in the temporary sense, it's like investing, 
right? You invest today in hopes that in time, your investment will have great returns for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren. Investing in the kingdom of Christ, investing in the king, investing your life in the king to the point of sacrifice that is real, suffering that is real. We have left all and followed you. What, what shall, uh, therefore, what shall we have? Oh, you'll have everything. <laughs> You're going to rule and reign with me, Jesus says. You'll have everything. What shall we have? What, what are they giving up compared to what they're going to have in the future? And this is where we need to learn to, to put off immediate satisfaction for the greater future and eternal satisfaction of well-done good and faithful, doulos, slave, servant. Anyone, everyone, he says, verse 21, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. Why? Because they're following Jesus. Shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. A hundred X gains, right? Those are good gains, good investment. A hundred X gains. And it's not really even accurate. A hundredfold, right? A hundredfold compared to what? Compared to that which you are going to have to give up anyway at the point of your death. Even if you could hold it all, all your life, well, then your dead hands will let go of it. It's one thing to tell tyrants of this world, not unless you pry it from my cold, dead hands, right? And it's a good thing to say to them, not unless you pry my Bible from my cold, dead hands. But there will be a day, unless the Lord returns beforehand, and even then, you'll have to put off this body of death to put on a body for glory fit for glory, be changed in the twinkling of an eye. There will be a day where all the things you've gathered in this world, whatever number of X's you've managed to gather, right? You've got a bigger house and a bigger house and a bigger house and a bigger boat and a bigger car, bigger garage just to house all your stuff. You just let loose of it all. People die every day. Look around. Some of these people will be dead next year, the year after, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Some who are younger, some who are older. That's just reality in a fallen world. Some of your friends, some of your family, some of your coworkers, they'll be dead in the next year. Certainly the next decade. That's reality in a fallen world. Should you not warn them? Should you not call them to live for the kingdom to come? Should you not help them invest their life? Follow King Jesus. The returns are amazing. Talk to Les Schwab. I mean, Charles Schwab. I mean... Jesus, you don't need just good tires or good mutual funds. You need the Savior. You need the King. You need the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And when you follow Him, He promises blessings. You shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. It's a two-part deal, a hundredfold eternal life. A hundredfold compared to what you couldn't ever hold because you were going to die is <laughs> a really good thing. And eternal life, you keep the hundredfold for 
ever. Forever. Now, the Lord is speaking in very earthly terms here. You know, are you really going to have a you know, hundred times, hundred X house in heaven? I don't think that's the point, right? But in comparison to what you had in this world, you know, hundred X is a figurative term, I expect. There, there will be no comparison. You will not think you've lost anything. You will know you've only gained an immeasurable wealth. God himself and you, his child, in heaven forever under his love. Matthew 26, 31 through 46, we find the apostle Peter to be the only apostle to foolishly declare total inability to stumble in sin and apostasy. Matthew 26, 31 through 46. Peter is a man of contradictions, even as you as a man or woman or a man or woman of contradictions. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's the truth of God's word, Peter. Hear it. When God's word speaks... It is the truth. If your heart is contrary to it, if your lips speak from your heart contrary to it, if your mind is contrary to it, then you're the liar and God is still the truth. This is the word of God. Jesus is speaking the word of God. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. He just contradicted Jesus and the word of God that Jesus quoted. Peter, stop, (laughs) please. (laughs) brother, sister, self, man in the mirror, stop, please, don't contradict the word of God, don't contradict your Lord, believe him, believe him when he tells you what I've got planned for you, it's a hundred X, don't worry about this stuff, don't grasp and grab and worry, I've got hundred X plans for you that are eternal, Don't fret. Follow me. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's like dad saying to a kid, a kid, he wants to go and kick a ball in the dirt lot near their house. You know, and and dad says, no, I've, I've got better plans. Follow me. And dad's, you know, planning to take him to a righteous version of Disneyland. I can't even hardly mention that place anymore. Uh, trying to, he's going to take him to Branson, Branson, Missouri, to go to, uh, what's the name of it? Silver Dollar City, where they declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's magnificent. Anyway, so they're going to Branson, and, and they're going to swing on by the ark and, uh, up in Kentucky, and they've they got plans, right? And the little boy, he doesn't know. He just wants to go to the dirt lot and and kick a ball. And so dad says, no, 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 I, I got a plan. Get in the car. And he's packing the bags. And the boy starts to cry and throw fit and get all mad. And you don't love me. And the dad's like, hey, just shut up and get in the car already. <laughs> I've got a good plan here. And they're going to have some ice cream on the way and, you know, stay at a hotel with a water slide and just get in the car. 
But the kid, he knows. He knows the good plan, right? Because he's eight. So he knows. That's how we are with God. He's got a great plan far beyond anything we can imagine. And we want to play in the dirt with a ball. And if dad won't let us, we're going to throw a fit. That's how Peter is. But we're just like Peter. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. That's arrogant and foolish and strong, but in the flesh. You will all stumble at some point. We will all stumble at some point. And left to ourselves, we will stumble utterly. We'll go apostate. We'll die in our sin. Our faith is a gift from God, both initially and day by day as he sustains it. It is a gift from God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. You are not working out your salvation by believing each day. No, God is sustaining you. And when you fail like Peter, God will pick you back up. When you sink down in the water, look at the wind and the waves, God will pick you back up. When you might lose your mind and say, no, Lord, never. Um, The Lord may rebuke you harshly and say, get behind me, Satan. But he was an apostle still. He wasn't thrown out of the 12. He wasn't even put out of, you know, first place. He's still the lead apostle. So don't take too much confidence in yourself, a fool's confidence, but nor beat yourself up relentlessly as if you're the author of your salvation and as if you're saved by anything other than grace alone. If Peter's life is a message of anything, it's grace alone, just like the patriarchs in the Old Testament. Grace alone. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Oops. And so said all of the disciples. Oh, Peter is a leader. Sometimes he leads in the right direction. Sometimes he leads in the wrong direction. But he is a leader. Verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And they went to sleep. They went to sleep. They went to sleep. And Jesus comes back and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He just said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. I'll never stumble. I'll die with you. But he can't stay awake for an hour. When Jesus says, my soul is exceedingly pained, sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he goes to sleep. Oh, saints, we are frail. We are frail. Praise God for his mercy. Jesus never stopped loving them. He did correct them. He did express astonishment 
Really? You're going to die with me? You're asleep already. (laughs) Wake up. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Know that and draw near to the Lord. Don't be discouraged and fall away. Know that you're weak left to yourself and draw near to the Lord. Know that like a log outside of the fire, it doesn't burn. It may have been on fire, but now it's getting colder and colder and colder. Now it's just a black log. It's not even, it's not even burning. It's just a black log. But you put it back in the fire and whoop, it starts to burn again. You want to stay in that fire. Stay near to Jesus. And near to his people. He goes and prays again. He comes back and finds them asleep again. And he doesn't even bother to wake them up. (laughs) Matthew 26, 47 through 56. Peter has another... Unique claim to fame. He's the only apostle to lop an ear off and have the Lord Jesus put it back on. We know the story. Uh, Verse 51, Matthew kindly leaves Peter's name off. It's kind of funny to me. He doesn't say who it is. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, Peter was trying to make good on his words. He said, I'll not depart. I'll die with you. And so they came to arrest him in the garden, and Peter pulls his sword and goes for Malchus's head. And fortunately, he, he was not very accurate, although that would have been a really cool miracle. His head was cleaved, and the Lord put it back together. Uh, but he took his ear off, and the Lord puts his ear back on. That's pretty cool also and pretty awesome. You know, how, do you, how do you think the arrest goes after that? Yeah, okay, we're going to arrest you. Um, well, we know how it goes. We know elsewhere they, they say who they're looking for, and he says, I am. And they all fall down before him. They all fall like cordwood, <laughs> or like Mount St. Helens when it blew, the trees. They all fall down before him. But there's Peter. Peter pulling the sword. Is that the plan? <laughs> I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll suffer and I'll die. Peter's still about the kingdom now. Still pulling that sword and going for Malchus' head. Matthew 26, 57. Peter is one of two apostles to follow Jesus to the cross. Who is the other? John. One of two. Matthew 26, 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. In Matthew 26, 69, we find that Peter is the only apostle to deny Jesus three times with cursing. Oh, saints, our God is gracious. Our God is merciful. Look to Peter and find hope for usefulness. Look to Peter and don't find um, uh, license to sin, but look to Peter and find hope for usefulness, for he can use a rugged, often erring fisherman magnificently. And he can use you as well. He's the potter, you're the clay. He knows what he's dealing with. It's clay. Clay. 
corrupt clay. But if you're his, he will sanctify you in time. He will mold you. He will shape you. He'll break you if need be. But he'll not let you go. It is by grace alone that Peter is saved. It's by grace alone that you and I are saved. So Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, but again he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, those who came by, those who stood by, came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. You know, when when you're telling the lie the third time, you add some curse words to it to make it really convincing. And what lie is this? I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Expletive, expletive, expletive. What did he say? Everyone else might fall away, but never me, Lord. Never me. Verse 74, then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus, who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Saints, the Lord Jesus knows you will fail. He knows how many times you will fail. He knows the dates and the moment and the second that you will fail, and he loves you. And he'll not let you go. Press on. Get back up. Press on. Die to self. Follow Jesus. Luke twenty-two sixty. a synoptic gospel account of this scene. Peter has denied the Lord his three times. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter holds this distinction to be the only apostle to receive this look from Jesus. What look do you suppose it was? I think there was a lot of grace in it, a lot of compassion, a lot of love, maybe a bit of disappointment, but much more of the others. The Lord knows what we are left to ourselves. He knows we're utterly dependent upon him. He's not shocked when we fall to fear or what seems to be an expedient plan, a better plan the foolishness of our intellectual pride. But Peter here is rightly broken, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Tears of repentance, I believe. Luke 24, 12. 
Peter is one of two apostles who ran to see Jesus' empty tomb. Peter arose, ran to the tomb, stooping down. He saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You might wonder why we've left Matthew's gospel, because Peter is not mentioned any further in Matthew's gospel. In John 20, verse 3 through 10, we, we find the same account as Luke 24, 12, only we, we get the wonderful part of uh, Peter being the only apostle to lose a foot race to Jesus' empty tomb. And he lost the foot race, of course, to young apostle John, who was fleet of foot. But he was first with John to see the empty tomb, thus the reality that Jesus had risen again. John 21, Peter's the only apostle to put on his clothing to go swimming and to be told that he would indeed be martyred for Jesus. The Lord Jesus reveals himself post-resurrection to his disciples and We find them in a boat, chapter 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Where did the story begin? Where where did Peter's name first get mentioned? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls him out of the boat, says, follow me, I'll make you fishermen. Where does Peter's story end? His last mention, he's back in the boat fishing for slimy wet things. What does Jesus do? He calls him out of the boat. Peter is a leader. Jesus has died. He has risen. He's going to ascend soon and Peter is back out in the sea and Jesus calls him out of that boat. And he puts his clothes on, verse 7, when he realizes it's Jesus. Oh, excuse me, we can't skip this. So they fish all night, and morning comes, verse 4, and Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some, which is ridiculous, right? <laughs> Left. Right, we fished all night, no fish. Like there's going to be fish over there when there aren't any fish there. And why do you fish at night? Because that's when you fish. Now it's morning, we're done. But Jesus says, cast on the other side. They cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Verse 7, therefore that disciple whom loved Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. They were out there fishing. They caught nothing. The Lord shows up. Their net is full to the point of breaking. Peter puts his clothes on, dives into the sea, swims to shore. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Get out of that boat. Go find my sheep. And my sheep will hear my voice. John 10. And they will follow me. Verse 18, the Lord Jesus in verse 17 says, one last time, feed my sheep. And then in verse 18, says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you are younger, you were girded, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands 
and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Where did the story begin? The story of the apostle Peter? Follow me. When Peter deviated, what did Jesus say? Follow me. At Peter's final deviation, after the death, burial, and resurrection, hey, let's go fishing. Get out of that boat. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, follow me. You're going to die following me. You're going to glorify me following me, Peter. Follow me. That's Peter's life. And with a variation of details, that's your life. And that's mine. The life of every believer. Follow Jesus. Die to self. Pick up the cross. Follow him. Glory is coming. And coming quickly. Put all your troubles into perspective. Soon you'll be dead. They'll be gone, and it's glory forever. 100x gains. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. And he will make good on his promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful life, a life of grace and mercy, a life that magnifies our Savior.